So what we do here, the type of ministry that we do here is called expository preaching, where we just take the Bible verse by verse. We don't skip it. We try to honor the verses. And one of the dangers, not dangers, one of the um, downside for me personally of doing this is you end up sometimes in a passage that you have no idea what the passage is about, right? So this is like one of those passages. I was like studying it on Monday or two weeks ago I was studying and I go, I have no idea what this is about, right? I have no idea what this is about. It's about like slavery or something, right? And so I was like, I was thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And finally, God has given me insight to what this passage is about. And this passage is really about the importance of labor, right? And we will talk about it. This will be evident as we journey on. So what is taking place in today's verses are, is the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is God's promised land to the Israelites, right? The land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, once again, are suffering. In, it's in, it's in, they're in the midst of the continual severe famine that bestowed upon these lands. And there is nothing to eat. But God, by his grace, right, created Joseph, led Joseph to Egypt so that Joseph became in a position of power so that Joseph could provide for the people, so that Joseph had a plan so that his plan enabled to provide food to the starving Egyptians and Israelites. Okay? Think about it. If God did not send Joseph to, Israel, to Egypt during this time, Pharaoh and his officials would have no idea that a famine was coming. Right? Remember? The only way that Pharaoh knew the famine was coming was through Joseph's interpretation of his dream. They had no idea. Like, we had no idea in 2018. Remember 2018? Remember December 2018? Remember that? Remember, you remember December 2019? Remember? We had no idea COVID was coming. We were ill-prepared for COVID because we had no idea it was coming. Remember February, January 2020, right? We heard news of COVID in China. I go, oh, yeah, it's never coming to the U.S. There's never coming to the U.S. Boy, were we wrong. People were ill-prepared for COVID. But that's the opposite case in Egypt's case because God knew, because God sent Joseph to prepare for the famine. Remember, they had seven great years. During those seven profitable years, they stored up as much grain as possible for the seven years of famine. This tells us one important truth, right? One of, the, one of God's graces that he bestows upon everyone in the world which is called common grace, by the way. Common grace is God's love and mercy towards everyone, whether you're saved or not. One of the common grace that God bestows upon human beings is that he allows us to live in a nation under governments. I'll tell you what it is. This world in creation is unforgiving and cruel and violent and hostile. It, it is. But the way that human beings survive and thrive in this world, in this created, created world, 
It's by gathering together, right? Sharing resources, making communities and nations so that we can live together so that the created, created order creation will not destroy us. One of my favorite movies is called The Revenant. Have you seen The Revenant? Oh, Sean's dark. You need The Revenant with your new TV, man. Revenant is like Leonardo DiCaprio's movie. Oh, man, that's a great movie. He's like a frontier huntsman or something, right? He's out in the great northwest of America. It's like freezing winter. There's bears and enemies, and like it's incredibly dangerous. And he's out alone, and he needs to get back to civilization. But there's other parts of the movie where they see, they show other men within a campsite, right? Where they build a fort and where they have food and they have community. You cut to these two scenes and you realize DiCaprio could easily be killed, but it's less easy to kill men who are together forging a community. God, by his grace, allow us to live in a nation so that we will survive and thrive in this world. Imagine you got you being dropped off in the mountains of West Virginia. Have you ever been lost in the mountains of West Virginia? I got lost in the mountains of West Virginia once going on a retreat. My gosh, that was scary. Alone we die, in community we live. Within the community of nations, God, by his grace, gave us government so that the governments will help keep order in the nation of human beings. So one of the things that you got you to be thankful for is that you are living in a country that has a government that keeps order, that allows you to work and survive and thrive in this world. Is the government perfect? According to Fox News, it's not, right? Is, is, is our president infallible? According to Fox News, he's not. Regardless of the division and the punditry, let's be honest. God bless America. I should wear my red, red, white, and blue t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? It is a place where we can thrive. You know how many people want to come to America? If you're from America, man, you have, in the, in the social marriage material, you have a, you have a, you have a, you're a huge level up guy, right? Josh, go to Korea, man. I'm from America. Oh, Josh, that I live in America card is a huge card, Right? We live in a country where we can thrive, and that is an example of God's grace. God, Bible is clear. God is the one who creates nations, and he's the one who selects the government of each nation. Bible is clear. God is the one who selects kings and princes and rulers. He gives them authority. And this is so incredibly true, because as a child of a guy who made it to the top of the government, I look at my father's life, and I see there is no rhyme or reason of why my father should occupy the position that he occupied. 
There's no reason. I know my dad is great. I love my dad. Dad, I love you. Proud of you, right? But when you look at it, it just seems so random. Obama was president, and he had almost zero political experience. Donald Trump, the apprentice guy, there is no rhyme or reason to the selection of governors. There isn't. God places men in those positions. It's absolutely true. As a child of a government official, that's certainly true. All of it so that God could provide for you and protect you and keep you safe in this world. No? Aren't you, aren't you proud of being American now? No? America? But it's true. The fact that you live here is an instrument of God, testament of God's grace upon you. It's true. It's that God's grace that put Joseph in charge of Egypt during the Great Famine. Right? And these verses talk about Joseph's policy that he implemented while there was a severe famine in the land. Right? So there's severe famine before, like I said, there was seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. During the seven years of prosperity, Joseph gathered as much grain as possible, stored it, and during the years of famine, he started to distribute the grain. But it is very interesting. His policies are very anti Democratic Party policies. Because what exactly did Joseph do? How did he enforce the distribution? How did he plan out the distribution of grain? First, he let the Egyptians buy the grain for him. Isn't it weird? The guy, these farmers, for seven years, they raised, they raised grain during prosperous times. And, this, and they gave the grain to the government during the prosperous years. During the famine time, Joseph turns around and starts to sell them the grain that they gave to the government in the first place. Taxes. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, it's like you getting a tax refund in April and be so happy about it. But it's the money that you already gave the government, but you're so happy about it. Joseph didn't just freely give out the grain. Like Bernie Sanders would want him to freely give out the grain. He sold the grain to the Egyptians and the Canaanites. Interesting. When these people ran out of money, the Egyptians came back to Joseph and says, look, we have no money. You, you got all our money. We have no money. What do you, like, we need grain. Give us grain. Joseph said, okay, you want grain? Give me your cattle, your livestock, your herds, your donkeys, your sheep. Give it to me. If you give me all your herd, all your livestock, I will exchange those livestock for grain. Livestock was the asset, was the only asset these people had. And Joseph said, give me your assets. And these people, because they needed grain, gave Joseph all their 
livestock in exchange for the grain. A year later, they ran out of grain, and they said, we want grain. Joseph said, what do you have for me? And the Egyptian says, we have nothing. We have our land and ourselves. Joseph says, I'll take it. Give me your land and sell yourselves as servants to the king. And they did it. They gave all their land to Pharaoh and they, 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 they sold themselves as servants to Pharaoh. You see what's going on here? This is Joseph, God's appointed ambassador. These are the policies that he implemented. This kind of seems like opposite love, right? If we think, if we love someone, if someone that we love wants something, then we will freely give it to them without any cost or exchange, right? One of the political parties certainly thinks so, right? If I need something, the government should give it to me. Because that's what the government's for, they say. But what Joseph seemed to have done seems very cold and harsh. What do you have for me? I have all this grain. What do you have for me? Question is, why did Joseph do this? Why couldn't just Joseph be like Santa Claus and just free, and like Oprah, freely give grain to everyone? Why? Why does Joseph have to be so Republican? You know? Ew. Trump voter. Why? I'll tell you why. Number one. Reason number one. Joseph needs to control the distribution of the grain. Right? If he gives grain, as much grain as people need, people say they need at a given time, then he'll run out of grain. Right? Because people's needs are endless. People are really bad at, whatchamacallit, portion control. Go to Cheesecake Factory. I'll, I'll go there on Friday. And people have really bad idea of portion control at the Cheesecake Factory. People have a really bad idea of portion control. Remember the great COVID beginning and the toilet paper rush? They just stack and stacks of toilet paper because they're in it for themselves, people are. If Joseph didn't control the distribution, everyone would starve. People will not make through the seven-year famine. They won't. And the best way for him to control the distribution, cur curb, control the appetites of people, is rather than freely giving them grain, is to exchange their grain. People let, people, allowing people to exchange their grain for the property. Because if you have to give your property to Pharaoh, you need to be very, you, you, would be, you, would be very, you need to be very measured in how much property you're going to give. That's why. We think love is freely giving as much as we want, as much as, the, as much as we want when we need it. That's not true. 
Love is controlled. Love is measured. Love is wise. And parents, you know that to be true. When you give the kid what they want, when they would, as how much you want it, what are you going to have? You're going to have little monsters. You're going to create little monsters. Right? You know this. You need to say no. You need to say quit playing video games and study. You need to say your love needs to be measured and wise in order for your kids to thrive. Right? It's not easy because you don't want to be a jerk to your kids. You want your kids' approval. Don't you want your kids' approval? Don't you want to say, don't you want to hear, you're the best dad in the world. Don't you want to live for that? But sometimes you've got to be the bad guy. Because love is wise and measured, and so is the love of God. He doesn't give you what you want, when you want it, when you need it. He, gives, he says no to you. He gives measured love to you. I'm sorry, not, his love is unmeasurable, but his love is distributed to you in a measured way to not destroy you. You know what I mean? Look, I wanted a big church. Who doesn't want a big church? I wanted to be the next Joe Alstein. Let's admit it, right? I want to be the next Joe Alstein. I want to be an arena preacher. I want to buy FedEx Field, and I want to be in the middle of the FedEx Field, and I want everyone to just, just be engaged in what I say. That's what I want. If God gives that to me, I'll be ruined. You're just right for me, embrace. You're just the right measure of God's grace in my life, embrace. You are. Okay? Second reason why, why Joseph controlled the distribution of grain is there is an inherent, an inherent spiritual nature that we have that needs to be honored when, when we receive things. This is kind of a long-winded way of saying things. Basically, I'm saying freely giving them grain when they need it, it's contrary to the way God designed the human soul to be. God designed the human soul to be like him. God designed the human soul to be like him. God provides for his creation. God saves his people by the giving of his son. You know what I mean? It costs God something to love us. It costs, it costs God everything to love us. That's what the gospel says. These people, in order to provide for their families, they have, it's better for them, better for their souls, better for their God-designed souls to see that they're contributing to their family's well-being by, exchange, by freely exchanging what they have for the food. If the government just gave them food and everyone just freely ate, it's bad for those, these people's souls. 
But if these people participate in the provision of their family through the exchange, it's healthier for their souls. I'll give you a couple of examples. Number one, The Atlantic magazine is a very left-leaning magazine, The Atlantic. And a couple of years ago, wrote an article about, and post, you know, posted an article about why public housing doesn't work. For those of you who don't know, because you live in the bubble called Northern Virginia Fairfax, public housing is a government-subsidized housing where government provides very, a place to live to the people who, who, are, who are in poverty, and they provide this housing with, in a, with very affordable rent, right? This public housing seems to be a good idea at first. There are these poor people who need housing. The government gives them housing in a very affordable way. It sounds like very loving and, and it makes sense. But the Atlanta Magazine says, government, public housing doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, people don't have ownership of their property. They don't feel that they own their property because it's freely given to them or it's very incredibly affordably given to them. They have no ownership interest of the property, not only because it's almost free, but it's because the government, is, it belongs to the government. There is no ownership interest that they have in these homes. Therefore, they let these homes rot. That sounds such like a Republican, don't I? But that is consistent with God's design. In order for our souls to thrive, we need to have a sense that we're contributing to our family's well-being. That it isn't for nothing. We're not getting things for nothing. That God has created us to participate in the provision of our families through labor or through the exchange of what we have so that we will, we will feel responsible for providing for our families. That makes the human soul strong. Whereas freely giving things to people, for some strange reason, corrodes our souls. Another example. During the great hurricane, the earthquake in Haiti, what was it, 2015? Remember that great? There was an earthquake in Haiti. 2004 was when Obama was president, right? Oh, yeah, that was before my current house. So it was in the, I don't know, 2012, I think, there was a great earthquake in Haiti. Haiti got decimated. And all the relief effort, the Red Cross and all the churches and all the relief effort poured money to Haiti. There was so much money flowing into Haiti. The government didn't know what to do about it, so they didn't do anything about it, by the way. There was so much money. And one missionary visited Haiti. And he was like digging ditches and making buildings for the villagers of Haiti. And he noticed young men of that town came to him and said, can we work? The missionary thought, you're victims. As victims, I'm going to give you free things. Relax, chill out. Let me do the work and I'll provide for you. But these young men said, we want to work. We don't want handouts, they say. We want to work. Because these men know that there's something about their nature that needs to work. 
the needs to participate in the provision of their family. Because that's how their soul is ordered, are ordered. There is an undeniable design that God has, that, the blueprint to our souls. And one of the blueprint, one of the ways that God designed us is, he designed to work just like he's a worker. And he designed for us to participate in the provision of our family, just lest he is, he is providing for the creation. If you rob people of that, you will, you will corrode their souls. Do you understand? And this is very biblical. This is very biblical. The work that God has given you to do is not a curse. But God's calling in your life to imitate him. Through this work that you do, you imitate him. The money that you earn, the money that you earn that goes into providing for your, for your parents, for your children, for your mortgage, the process of exchanging your time and your brain power for money, that's a fundamental way that God has designed you to function. Without it, your soul will corrode. I know some of you said, oh, I can't wait to play the lottery. I can't wait to strike it at $1 billion. I am free. But we know how those stories go because people who get jackpot billionaires often become, like, ruin their lives because their souls begin to curl without work. I'm running from the Republican Congress seat, by the way, so support me. But that's true. It seems harsh according to certain standards of political stance of recent times. Because recent times think government should give me things for free. But I'm afraid that policy is not very, is contrary to God's design for you. So. The last thing, right, let's go visit Joseph's policy. The last thing that they needed to give up was their bodies and their lands, right? They ran out of food, and they didn't know what to do. And Joseph said, what do you have for me? They have, we have our bodies and our land. And Joseph said, deal. And those people became servants of Pharaoh. And if you are a modern person, you'll be outraged, because I was outraged. Outraged. They, Joseph allowed these people to be sold as slaves? Outrage. Isn't slavery the worst sin in the world? Outrage. How very unwoke of Joseph to allow these people to be sold as servants to Pharaoh. But let's examine what the terms of their servitude was. The term of their servitude was, okay, as servants of Pharaoh, I'm going to give, you a, I'm going to give each of you a seed, and y'all going to plant the seed in, your field, in, in the field that you, know, you gave to Pharaoh. And when the crops come up from those fields, guess what? You're going to give Pharaoh 20%, and you keep 80% for yourselves. That's crazy. So 
Joseph's wisdom is, yeah, you guys sold yourself as servants, but the way you will serve Pharaoh is you will plant the seed that Pharaoh gives you, and when the crops come up, give 20% to Pharaoh and keep 80% of yourselves. That's a 20% income tax. I would love to have a 20% income tax, y'all. Won't you? 20% income tax sounds so awesome. They have a better deal than what I have and than what most of you have. You know what I mean? So the way you serve Pharaoh, Egyptians, is work. Keep 80% for yourselves, to provide for your family. That's Joseph's policy. And that policy is very consistent with God's design for the human soul. It is clear in the Bible. Right? The calling to work is very clear in the Bible. To the point where, look, these are like strong words that Paul says. First is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul says, Whoever does not work does not eat. I can get fired for this, right? Whoever does not work does not eat. That's there in the Bible. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own households, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's saying people who do not work to provide for their families are not saved and, in fact, are worse than an unbeliever. You understand the importance of work? Like I said during the prayer confession, Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says to the, to the Christians who quit their jobs so that, to, to wait for Jesus' return, Paul says, don't do that. If, if you think Christ will return tomorrow, work. Why? Like I said before, working is the best way that you emulate God. Work. Yes, it's true. Your work is hard because you live in a fallen world and you, live, you, you work amongst fallen people. It's hard. It's true. Look, this past week, oh my goodness, there was one guy who cursed me out. And, I, and as a lawyer, you can't say nothing. There were, he was accusing me of like, he was showing me emails and emails of what my, what my team members did wrong. Nah, 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 nah. And I was like on an all-day conversation with him, just hearing his accusations to me. And you want to defend yourself. You want to say, no, that's not true. But you have to take it. I can't defend myself. I can't say, but no, you're wrong. I can't say that. I can't say that. You know this, right? So that's what being a pro means. People curse at you and blame you and accuse you, and you need to take it. So all, all of you for, who, are, who are being chewed up by your bosses and your clients, I, I, I'm with you, man. But this stress does not demean the calling, my calling as a lawyer. It doesn't. 
the best way, one of the best ways that I show godliness, God-likeness, is to labor to produce fine products for my company and for my clients. God is so impressed with you by the output that you produce, by the input that you put in and the output that you produce, God is so incredibly proud of you. How do you please God? Do amazing work. Let your work be benefit to your clients and to your company and to your families. That's how you honor God. In fact, you honor God more through difficult clients, by unreasonable bosses, being cursed at, being yelled at, and enduring that and to provide work. That is super, duper praising, pleasing God. What, what reward is there if I'm awesome, if everyone knows that I'm awesome? Not, not that much. I mean, it's still honoring, but it's more honoring, God, if I produce an amazing product despite the obstacles in my life. I participate in God's created order by emulating him and doing amazing work at my work. Don't you want to work now? Don't you want to go and like, take your, turn on your computers and start typing? I want to. Right? Look, there's a phenomena these days called quiet quitting. Have you heard quiet quitting? Quiet quitting is people, because most people are, on, are online, and because you don't go to the office, because your boss doesn't see you every day, quiet quitting means people doing the Bare minimum for their jobs, right? Just they do the bare minimum, right? And one of the ways that you quite quit is like, you know, when, you're, when, you're, when you log in and, you know, office, same time thing, right? People know that you're on. You just like kind of let yourself be, you know, turn on your computer to let your boss see that you're on and just go take a nap somewhere, go shopping. Quiet quitting. The bare minimum. The bare minimum. That quiet quitting, y'all, is contrary to God's call, and that's sin. Because God honored, but God thinks so highly of your work, doing the bare minimum. Is an insult to him. We don't have any quiet quitters here, do we? Not the people that I talk to. Right? Not people, people, the embracers that I talk to. Men, they, they, I'm so proud of the embracers that I talk to. They really are just devoting, wholeheartedly devoting themselves for their, for their work. And God bless you for that. Quiet quitters, you guys are corroding your souls. Right? Honor God through your work. So that's why Joseph's policy. He controlled the distribution and he's honoring their humanity by allowing them to exchange what they have to provide for their families 
and then allowing them to work for food. That's honoring their humanity. But if you look at, the, if you look at verse 27, you look at the, these, those are the Egyptians. Verse 27 is about people of God, right? The, the Joseph brothers. Joseph's brothers, they settled in Goshen. And even though they bought grain first time, they didn't have to sell their cattle and their selves and their land to Pharaoh. They didn't. Even though first time they purchased grain, once they settled in Goshen, they didn't have to sell off their cattle or they didn't have to sell off their bodies to Pharaoh. Why? Because God blessed them. Look, look, verse 27, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gave possessions, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Unlike the Egyptians, who were just suffering and who were just constantly depending upon the government, the people of God didn't need to depend on the government. Because the people of God, God blessed them. God multiplied their cattle. God multiplied their produce. This is the blessing of God. Like I said last week, the blessings of God in the Old Testament is God's life-giving power bestowed upon you. In the Old Testament, God's life-giving power was seen through the, 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 the product of the land. Like people in the Old Testament were farmers, right? They were cattle herders and farmers. And the way that you know that God is blessing you is by, is by, is by God blessing the life of your crops and the life of your cattle. That's why Israel, because God was with Abraham, Abraham became really rich because in God, Abraham's cattle and livestock and produce became living and produced much fruit. Do you understand? That's the idea. When you're near God, the life of God becomes part of you. And the life of God starts regenerating life around you. And because this happened to the Israelites, they, they didn't need to depend on the government. I sound like a libertarian. The message is this. Clearly, we're not farmers. Leave me in a farm, and I will starve. I have no idea what poison ivy looks like. I have no idea what mushrooms that can kill me look like. I have no idea what to do with a goat. I have no idea. Right? I don't know how to kill a chicken. I don't know how to raise a chicken. I will die in a farm. Clearly, we're not farmers. But the principle of the life-giving power of God is relevant to us. When you are connecting with God, he gives a life-giving power to you in your life. That's true. And, 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 and the way we know what kind of life that God gives is demonstrated in the call of worship this morning, Psalm 19. When you're near God, when you're in Christ, when you're connected to Christ through his law, God refreshes the soul, 
God gives wisdom. God gives joy to your heart. God gives eyes to the, God, God gives eyes of truth to you. Psalm 19, for those of you who weren't here, because let's face it, most of you weren't here at Call of Worship. A little bit of dig, dig. Call of Worship is, the psalmist says he delights in the law of God because when he meditates upon the law of God, God refreshes his soul, gives him wisdom, rejoices his heart, gives truth to his eyes. The law of God is the mind of God. You meet the mind of God through the law of God. The law of God is not just commandments that he wants you to follow. It reflects the mind of God. When you commune with the mind of God through his law, you get to encounter his mind. That's true. When you encounter his mind, you start to bear fruit internally and then externally to the people around you. That's true. That's why Jesus says, remain in me, let my words remain in you, and you'll bear much fruit. That's exactly what he means. Encounter his mind through the word, and you will live. God will bless you with life. But on the flip side, if you do not encounter God, the mind of God, then the flip side is you'll be enslaved to sin. Let's look at the Egyptians. Because Egyptians did not have God, they became increasingly poor through the famine. And as they become increasingly poor to the fa in the famine, they become more increasingly dependent on the government. Do you understand? The more they didn't have life, the more dependent upon the government they were. Thankfully, Joseph was a good guy, and he didn't abuse that dependence, right? But if you give the wrong government all the power, they will destroy you. If you don't have the life of God in you, you will continue consistently be dependent on the lies of the world. You will. And the lies of the world will destroy you. And the best example that I can give you is this person that was on the Beckett Cook show. You guys should always listen to Beckett Cook on Thursdays, right? Sophia Gavin was a former, is a woman who thought she was man, and she in a teenager, and she transitioned, she started the transitioning process, but found Christ and stopped. She said, when I was a teenager, I was very confused. And as a parent of a daughter going through puberty, it's a very common thing to girls at her age to be confused. And when she expressed her confusion, the world says, oh, it's because you're transgender. You're born, in the you're born in the wrong body. What? And so she said, okay. So she listened. And she started getting hormone shots. At first, hormone shot felt great. And then she's, and she's, and she realizes she started to go crazy. And the world says, oh, it's, oh, it's because Hormone shots aren't enough. You need, you need to remove your chest area. You need to take more drastic steps. You need to take more drastic steps for you to be completely to be you. 
She said, okay. And she took steps to changing her body. And then she became a Christian. And she realized, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I destroying myself? I don't understand. What am I doing? And she woke up. If you don't have the life of God in you, maybe I'll get fired for this. You're going to listen to the lies of the world. And, the li- and you're going to be dependent upon the lies of the world. And the lies of the world will drive you crazy. It will destroy you. And that's really true. Connect to the mind of God. You will live. I promise you, you will live. But if you're not connecting to the mind of God, you're going to be dependent upon the lies of Satan. It's true. And when you listen to his lies, you will, start, you will go out of control. You'll be more dependent on his lies. That's the warning. In God, there's fruit, there's life in Christ. That's why, he, that's why Jesus saved us, so that we can live. And that life you can experience now through the meeting of God's mind, through his word. But if you leave your mind unchecked, you'll be dependent on the lies of the world that will give you more confusion and that will destroy you. I have one section I want to teach, but I can't do it because time is up. I'm so proud of myself for being disciplined. But that's the message. That's one of the main points of these verses. God created you to work to provide for your families. Working is an invaluable way that God has created you. But most importantly, God has created you for life. That's only possible when you're connected through Christ by the meeting of his mind. Let us pray. Father, the world has no idea how the blueprint to our souls. Because the world has decided to ignore you and laugh at you, and totally deny you. The world ignores the blueprint to our souls. Father, you have given us an eternal blueprint in in how we are to live. And it is only when we live consistently to that design, Father, we thrive. And one of the ways that you have designed us is to emulate you through our work. One of the best ways that we meet you, one of the best ways, Father, that you are proud of us is for us to emulate you in our work, to provide for our companies, to provide for our clients, to provide for our families through labor. There is, it's a God-honoring thing that we we are called to do. So, Father, allow us to do it. Give us new perspective in our work. 
give, our, give us new perspective to our clients, give us new perspective about our bosses and, 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 the, and, the, and the work that we do. There are no menial work, Lord. There is no menial work in your kingdom. Everything is ordained by you for the glory of God, and may we look at our jobs like that. Father, it's true. Labor is toilsome because of the fall. Labor is toilsome because of fallen human beings. But Father, we pray that as we encounter those toilsome situations, may we depend upon you. May we meet your mind every day so you would give us the wisdom and the insight that are needed to productively do the calling that you have called us to do. Father, every day, Father, allow us to meet the mind of Christ. Allow us to live as we meet, meet your mind, Lord. May, may we be weary. May we be on guard against the lies of the world that destroys us. But may we embrace the life of Christ that is found in your word. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.